Welcome to another episode of Pods for Docs. This episode was recorded in March 2023, and we are starting a HIV series where we first look at skin manifestations of HIV. We're very lucky to have Dr. Lees here with us today, and she will take us through this interesting yet important topic, which comes up both in exams and in real life. Welcome, Dr. Lees. How are you doing? Hello. Very well, and yourself? I'm doing great. Well, why don't we start with the basics? Could you tell our listeners, what is HIV? HIV is an acronym that's short for Human Immunodeficiency Virus, which is a virus that targets our immune cells and weaken our immune system. It leads to an increased susceptibility of developing infections and other diseases. Tainous infections of the skin are particularly prominent, which is the topic of our podcast today. Absolutely. Can't wait to dive into it. What is the difference between HIV and AIDS? That is a very good question. AIDS, also an acronym, is short for Acquired Immunodeficiency Syndrome, opposed to HIV that we just discussed. AIDS is the term used to describe the state of the body when the immune system has been severely affected by HIV. A patient with HIV can develop AIDS in about one or two years after being infected with the virus, or even many years after the infection. CD4 count is a measure of the strength of the immune system lymphocyte expression. As a rule of thumb, a CD4 count of less than 200 reflects AIDS and a threshold of being considered immunosuppressed. I think that's really important, isn't it? Because a lot of people use the terms HIV and AIDS interchangeably, whereas AIDS really refers to this immunosuppressed state, which is important for many reasons that we'll get onto in a moment. So taking a step back, HIV can present in many ways, but skin conditions related to HIV are so very important. Could you tell us why it's so important when trying to understand HIV as a disease? Skin, or the medical term would be cutaneous manifestation of HIV, is a common presentation of the disease that is either due to viral infection or from opportunistic disorder secondary to the decline of the immunocompetence of the patient. Therefore, understanding the related skin problems give us a real clue about the diagnosis and severity of disease. It's almost as if skin is a window into the condition itself both from an immune point of view and the severity. When do cutaneous disorders of HIV usually present in the disease course? Cutaneous disorders may be the initial signs of HIV-related immunosuppression. Recognizing HIV-related skin changes may lead to the diagnosis of HIV infection in the early stages, which will lead to the initiation of appropriate antiretroviral therapy Later in the disease, skin disorders may be due to neoplastic processes and inflammatory processes associated with HIV. Importantly, is that skin diseases present more frequently and in more severe manner in patients with HIV compared to those who do not have HIV and have the same skin disorder. This will also be less responsive to treatment in someone with HIV. The way I think of you know, HIV, cutaneous manifestations is that firstly, they occur during that initial period when someone gets infected by the virus, and then they could appear in a slightly different way when the virus is there for some time, but the individual still remains immunocompetent. And finally, you could get some different cutaneous manifestations when someone is severely immunocompromised with HIV. Does that sound about right to you? I absolutely agree. I think it's very important to distinguish between the different stages 
and also appreciate the difference in cutaneous disease in these stages. Okay, great. I'm glad I got that. So why don't we first start with the first phase, that period when an individual first gets infected? What are the common skin manifestations then? During acute primary HIV infection, a transient generalized morbiliform eruption may develop on the trunk and the arms. In the early asymptomatic stage of HIV disease, which may last from a few years to a decade or longer, no signs of infection other than lymphadenopathy are present. Okay, so that's pretty nonspecific then. Would you mind telling us exactly what does this morbiliform eruption actually refer to? A morbiliform eruption is what is generally referred to as a maculopapular eruption and can be pink to red in colour. Important to note that in skin of colour, it can be slightly different and the skin is a darker variant of the natural skin tone in the background. Got you. So morbiliform is somewhat a fancy term for a maculopapular rash. I love it in medicine when that happens. We need to sound fancy, don't we? Exactly. Are there any other major skin issues that we should know about at the early stage before an individual is immunosuppressed with HIV? Kaposi sarcoma can occur prior to the onset of immunosuppression. I think Kaposi sarcoma is a really important topic for our listeners. Could you tell us more about it? Kaposi sarcoma is an abnormally vascularized tumor-like lesion affecting skin, lymph nodes, and viscera. It is believed to be the proliferation of endothelial cells induced by human herpes virus type 8. Kaposi sarcoma begin as a pink macule that become disseminated and palpable. Purple or brown macules and plaques may become nodular. Mucosal involvement is also very common. Kaposi sarcoma demonstrate more aggressive clinical progression in patients infected with HIV than in other populations with the disease. It may develop in HIV patients, even with well-controlled HIV disease. It's worth knowing a bit about this because this is often an exam topic. Mm, I think you're right. I think in some exams, you may even get a picture of someone with Kaposi sarcoma. And I suppose the reason why it could be so prominent is that it is, as you said, one of these early but specific signs that someone could have HIV. So then if we move on to the skin disorders that we should be aware about when people with HIV develop AIDS, so as you said, becoming immunosuppressed, what should we look out for then? With the onset of immunosuppression, non-specific skin changes occur, such as common disorders with atypical clinical features. This can include varicella zoster, which is recurrent in nature, numerous hyperkeratotic wards, treatment-resistant seborrheic dermatitis, and oral hairy leukoplakia. So that's still pretty varied presentation as someone is becoming immunosuppressed. And I feel I've seen oral hairy leukoplakia in an exam before. What is that, if you wouldn't mind telling us? This is a very interesting condition. It is caused by the Epstein-Barr virus, And this is part of the pathogenesis of oral hair leukoplagia, which may develop in patients infected with HIV. It is characterized with filiform white papules localized on the sides of the tongue. This condition has no malignant potential, but it may be the initial sign of progressive immunosuppression and therefore very important to recognize early on. Epstein-Barr, oral hair leukoplagia, 
and HHV8, think of Kaposi's sarcoma. Very good. So what about the later stages of HIV then, when someone is significantly immunosuppressed or have undergone immunosuppression for some time, i.e. without treatment of the HIV, what would we expect then? In the later stages of HIV disease, chronic herpes simplex virus, Muliscum contagiosum, and cytomegalovirus infections appear. Mycobacterial infections and mycocutaneous candidiasis can also occur. Verrucous herpes infection, leprosy, condyloma-like molluscum contagiosum, and age-associated pigmented or non-pigmented erythroderma may be seen in HIV disease. For our listeners, erythroderma means a red skin, and this occurs when a certain percentage of skin go red. Leishmaniasis and miliary tuberculosis may be a concern in advanced HIV disease. Diffuse or disseminated leishmaniasis may occur with HIV, including in association with the immune reconstitution inflammatory syndrome, in short, IRIS. Gosh, that's quite a list. And, you know, some of those things I've only really read in textbooks. I guess it's worth saying that that's partly because of these conditions not frequently being seen in the UK, where we have some proficiency in treating HIV early. If I were to take a step back, though, it seems to me that many of these skin conditions that you've described aren't quite specific to HIV, but rather people with HIV are just much, much more susceptible to developing them, primarily because of the immunosuppression. You wouldn't generally expect a healthy, immunocompetent individual to develop oral candidiasis or the verrucous herpes infection. And so I guess that's a good takeaway, is that if an individual develops certainly multiple of these conditions, you should really think about some immunodeficiency syndrome such as HIV. I think that's absolutely spot on. And our listeners need to integrate all the different infections and the cutaneous expression of it. Again, for the purpose of the exam, I would take a second look at Kaposi sarcoma and also oral hairy lachyplakia. Nice. I think that's really useful. Now, at the end of your last answer, you mentioned immune reconstitution inflammatory syndrome, IRIS. Could you tell us a little bit about that? This is a very interesting condition. When a patient with AIDS and poor immune system is started on treatment, this effectively wakes up the immune system, which was very suppressed before. The immune system would now attack an existing infection or activate an indolent inflammatory condition. Therefore, patients can sometimes become more ill after starting HIV treatment. We can certainly expand on this in a separate episode. I think so. An episode on treating HIV would suddenly be useful for our listeners, and that would definitely involve talking about IRIS. I think we've really hit the main messages about these skin manifestations of HIV and keeping in mind this early stage when someone picks up the virus, that second phase when people have the virus but aren't immunosuppressed yet, and then finally, what you see when someone becomes immunosuppressed and that immunosuppression gets worse. Now, for completeness, why don't we just do a bit of rapid fire going through the common infections and you can just give us one or two points that our listeners might want to take away with them. So let's start with viral infections in HIV. If we have a quick look at viral infections, patients can develop any of the herpes viridar family, which may lead to cutaneous disease. And this includes 
perianal and perioral hepatic ulcers caused by herpes simplex virus, recurrent typical dermatome zoster caused by herpes zoster virus, which we would call shingles, and also disseminated cytomegalovirus infection. They can also develop recurrent oral and anogenital herpes simplex virus infection, and this is very common in patients infected with HIV. Widespread and recalcitrant warts may be observed in the oral mucosa, the face, the perianal region, and the female genital tract in patients infected with HIV, caused by HPV 66. Last but not least is molluscum contagiosum, which is in the pox virus family. These lesions are small papules with central umbilication. In HIV infection, these lesions may be widespread and atypical. The lesions may be observed in unusual sites such as the face, the neck, the scalp, and the lesions may be unusual in morphology and size, even referred to as giant molluscum contagiosum. They're always tricky when you get an atypical presentation of something that we may not see very often. What about fungal infections? Superficial fungal infections, like recurrent and persistent mucocutaneous candidiasis, is common in patients with HIV infection. Okay, and I suppose we should just touch upon the bacterial infections as well. This may include impetigo and folliculitis, which are recurrent, persistent, and this is particularly true in children. The mycobacterial infections are also seen more often in this population. Cutaneous tuberculosis results from skin infection with TB, the same bacteria that causes TB of the lungs. Gosh, that was quite an overview. Thanks for giving us that. And I think it just goes to show how varied the presentation can be. I reckon if I give you time, you could probably spend the whole day telling us about each and every one of those conditions. As you said before, as well as being aware of these varied presentations, those important ones that we discussed, Kaposi sarcoma, oral hairy leukoplakia, is also key to remember for the exam. Excellent, Dr. Lees. We'll end it there for now, but there are so many more things that we could dive right into, such as skin-related malignancies associated with HIV and other things along those lines. So we'll definitely have to get you back for another episode to talk about these things. I will be more than happy. Amazing. I'll just say goodbye to our listeners for now, and please do check out our website for other resources on this topic and much more. Till our next episode, take care.